Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Majid Zafar. He's the Chief Growth Officer for Genesis International, and he's been an entrepreneur for many years. He's been involved in a number of scale-ups. And today we're going to be looking at how you can create scale and what prevents it. We're going to explore a number of different angles, one of which is a concept called ecosystems, which Majid is already very active in. And it's a a subject you'll be familiar with if you've been listening to recent podcasts. So Majid, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Marcus. It's a real pleasure. Um, t- tell me something. You've been uh, involved in a number of scale-ups uh, over the years. And in your experience, what's the single most important factor for the ones that succeed? It's really finding a solution to a big problem, right? To kind of keep it simple. But sometimes that solution might not be something that you personally can provide or your organization can provide, but does not mean that you can be part of a bigger uh, a bigger ecosystem, as you would describe it, that can solve that challenge. And then if you personally can go out and create those relationships and partnerships to where it's equally beneficial to all, then, you know, that, that's how you separate yourself. Fantastic. Okay, so I'm even more excited now. So, Majid, would you mind giving 60 seconds on your history, please, so that people understand where you've come from? Uh, sure. You know, I started as an entrepreneur. I was, you know, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, so it was just, uh, just kind of naturally evolved into starting my first business when I was 20. And I was traveling a lot for that business. And then uh, for me, family's always been pretty big. Uh, my mom got, uh, she she had some health issues and had to leave work. And so I decided to come back home and really started looking at what type of opportunities were out there. At that time, uh, Buffett and, you know, Gates, and there's a lot of people investing into energy. <laughs> so I looked at what this whole energy thing was and Started for company doing door-to-door sales, never done door-to-door sales before. That was really awesome, interesting. And then left and uh, partnered with a friend of ours. And, you know, we've we've grown from doing energy contracts for, uh, and you know, brokering for medium to large-sized companies to today working with some of the biggest organizations in the world and helping them with not just their energy needs, but uh, really helping them get ahead, get ahead of majority of their issues through IIoT. So we've, we keep evolving. We keep looking for ways to put ourselves out of business. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that, that I think is really healthy. I, you know, my pal Mark Herbert says, you know, you need to turn up every day ready to get fired as a manager. And I certainly believe that. And I think in business, we need to be attacking ourselves because if we aren't, then you can be damn sure the competition will. And at least it's we know what's coming. Help me understand this, because it, it sounds to me like you've got quite a, a pulse, a finger on the pulse of where your market is going and what your customers are looking for. Where did you, First of all, where did you learn to do that? And what's your process for getting a sense of what customers actually want? A lot of stalking. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really understanding the, the genesis of it is understanding the customer's problems. And when you get a broader sense of their issues, then you could see how you fit into solving them. Or what I like to do is called bringing unexpected value, right? If you could show up to a customer and say, hey, you know, right now my solution is not a great fit for you. It might be in a couple of years, but I see that you've been having this issue. There's this technology and this organization that's been solving it. I want to get you guys connected. You know, when you could bring value, what I call unexpected value to an organization, that's how you build the right relationships. And relationship capital is everything. Well, it's really interesting because I call that selling hot. It's where someone who is trusted by both sides makes a personal introduction and hand delivers somebody who can help solve the customer's problem. 
in my experience, they're 14 to 18 times more likely to close. The average order value is significantly higher. The frequency of referral off the back of those is higher. The typical customer lifetime is longer. And if you look at the behavior of HubSpot and Salesforce and most of the really successful companies, they've identified that partner-contributed deals tend to be higher in value and um, they're, they're far less likely to churn. So help me understand something. Why is it that so many leaders and managers continue to propagate the, the idea that it makes sense to go cold when they're missing out on even warm opportunities, let alone hot? I think that there's two types of organizations out there. They're followers and disruptors, right? So when you follow just what you've known comparatively to what actually makes sense, right? That kind of tells you not just where the person is, but where the organization also is, right? When you see an organization's process, you know, it's really easy to identify some of the issues that they have, not because of the way that they, of, of the widget they provide, but how that widget is actually communicated to their end customer, right? So it's really, it becomes a, a, are you focused on your community or are you just focused on, you know, hitting your numbers for the quarter or the month? Okay, so elaborate on what you mean by, are you focused on your community? First of all, what do you mean by your community? Yeah, your, your community is everyone that you're looking to bring value to. (laughs) <laughs> right right okay so and, sorry go on yeah and it shouldn't be the other way around it shouldn't be hey who could bring me money it's like okay, who could i go solve a problem for you know who could i uh who could i make things more convenient for you know who could i help things make it a how can i reduce friction <laughs> right so if the better you get at reducing friction the better, the smoother life gets. I was hoping that we'd find things to argue over, but uh, even the language (laughs) that you're using is identical. So, okay. So it's clear that you're already doing a lot of the things that I'm talking about within your community, which is largely around helping people to drive sustainability as a service, uh, using IoT and sustainable energy IoT is what we focus on, and this is this might be a good uh, way to kind of describe, you know, what we've been up to. You know, IoT is something that we are excellent at. You know, in, in and the can US, can you define it as well? Because for um, uh, sure, I'm for not those sure how who are, everyone is, yeah. So those who aren't sure what IoT is, the Internet of Things. So there's more devices that are connected than there are people out there, right? But if you could take the data that comes from those devices and make it actionable, then now that data has a lot of value. So what we do is we outfit large scalable organizations, you know, well, organizations with scale with IoT, and we basically create a digital footprint for, for their assets. And then any information that they're looking for to kind of help them create a step change in their operations. Imagine knowing that your equipment's going to fail weeks before it actually does and being able to get ahead of problems. So uh, that's kind of what we focus on. But, you know, what we've done is that we've gone out and done what we've talked about, right, is gone and created partnerships with organizations that bring tremendous value in the can, things can that we're not Can you put some context talking. around that? So, so who, who are the adjacent providers to you? Um, so for example, Centrica Business Solutions, right? Centrica, they're basically about a $4 billion ESCO. They do everything from variable speed drives, solar, roofing, you know, a lot of things that we don't do. Then we have organizations like Thermobuild. They are basically globally known for net zero projects. They were in the guide to net zero last year by the Department of Energy. So, you know, these type of partners, partnerships, 
mattress, you know, because no company wants to pay for things, right? So we basically then look to solve that issue by bringing on a partner that could alleviate that pain point. So any pain point that you have in your sales cycle, if you brought on a partner that could solve that pain point to where, you know, no, what we call ourselves is that the, the one throat to choke, yeah. <laughs> right? We just want to be the resource hub for any organization to take a, a, a want and a need to actualization by bringing us on board to where we we could either sub project manage, be the holder of the project, or you know be a contractor for the project. So it's just about solving the customer's need. It doesn't matter where we come in. Okay, again, wholeheartedly endorse your approach. My question is this: Then, how do you ensure the standards with partners? Because in that kind of intimate environment where you're you know, opening up your closest customers to these partners and they are opening theirs up to you, there has to be this basis of trust. So at the outset of that relationship, uh, what are the ground rules? What are the boundaries? How do you establish that framework so there are no surprises? And by the way, there's always surprises, but... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, a great way is, you know, we only bring on partners that have had a certain degree of success in their world. So, you know, we we seek out the best and when we look to partner with them, right? It's not, it's definitely a lot more, it's not in happenstance. Like we actually go after these partnerships, right? Yeah, so we now do things come to us like, you know, Termo Build? Yeah, I mean, that's one of our newest alignments. A Termo Build, I, I, I met Jack through LinkedIn, right? And I love, I started to check out what he was doing and I absolutely loved it. And none of our partners provided that value. So we got to know each other through there. I then started making some connections for Jack and, you know, create the solidify those relationships just by going through the process is number one, right? Go through the process with them. Just don't hand it off. Okay. Right. Be part of the process, especially when the first couple of times that you're doing it, you know, go through every part of the process with them. Be there for every call, right? Yeah. Even if you might not be providing a ton of value for that call, you still want to be part of that process. And we encourage our partners to also be part of any part of the process on our side that they like to be. Client calls to purchasing, whatever needs to be done. If they want to be part of that process, they can. Because the transparency is key. Presumably, in terms of the, the trust equation, credibility and reliability is they can do the job and they do what they say. Yeah, they so Jack's been doing this for 15 years, has had... Uh, data and projects and documentation and you know part that you know world class you know so it wasn't Absolutely. that hard of a yes but the only part of the relationship was like hey can we actually add value to you um, so that's the that's absolutely. the other operator which is the low self orientation but the thing that I'm really interested in is the degree of intimacy that you have with your partners. Because in my conversations with Charlie Green uh, around the trust equation, he says that intimacy is the most important part of that whole process, 100%. whether it's a customer or a partner uh, or an employee, uh, an employee or a report. So my, my question is this, how do you establish the right to make introductions so far outside of your normal remit? And how do you earn that intimacy so that someone will say, you know, I'll take Majid's word for it. I'll take a punt on this meeting. It's, again, unexpected value, right? You know, I dive into everything I'm very interested in. I don't look into things. I dive into things. Okay. Like, okay. So, for example, I have two little children, right? Six and three. I dive into everything with them, <laughs> right? 
I've read as many books on parenting as I probably have in my for my industry. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've uh dived into but it'll still mess them up. You realize that. A hundred percent. There's no <laughs> answer. The more I know, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. <laughs> my favorite I dive part. into different subject topics like health and wellness. You know, my wife and I were told we could never have children, you know, so diving into health and wellness and really fig, you know, solving some of those challenges to where today obviously we have children and that we're everyone's healthy. But going through that process, I learned a lot, right? Yeah. And when I'm talking to a client, a prospect, a partner, a, it doesn't matter who the person is, I'm talking to a person. Absolutely. And when I'm talking to that person, and if I bring them value that nobody else has even thought of bringing them, for example, I can't tell you how many people that I've gotten very close to because both my mom and my wife have autoimmune and chronic pain. And we've been able to improve their lifestyle or, you know, we oh, can't, right? But all naturally. So when the one thing that people always complain about is their health, right? And if I could bring them value as to say, hey, here's some ways that you could improve it. You know, I could give you, and I could... And from there, I'll even connect them to functional medicine doctors. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll actually go ahead and not just talk about it, but follow it up with resources for them. You know, whether I do business or not with them, they will never forget me. And, and that's the biggest thing. How are you leaving a lasting impression, not just of your business, but of yourself? Because you know what? The way that the it, that industry is today, your business might be here today. Your industry might be gone tomorrow. So really are your relationships solid enough to where you could pivot and still be on top of the game? It's really very, very interesting because there, there are a handful of people that I'm blessed enough to have um, as friends and uh, people that I've worked with. And what's really interesting about these very special people is it's difficult to leave their network. Yeah, I mean, you literally have to die to leave it. And they are, they're genuinely interested in you as a human being. And they put the effort in despite the fact that there's nothing that they're going to uh, get directly uh, back. But they do so with purpose. So again, another quality that I'm seeing is that they have enormous drive and they're incredibly generous in what they share. So they're, they're not thinking about what's in it for them. They're not even thinking necessarily about what's in it for the individual. They're thinking bigger because they have that breadth of vision and that imagination. So in terms of partners who are very good functionally but lack the imagination, how do you coach them? Do you just have to rescue sometimes? I've found that if you're trying to help somebody, sometimes it's best to get out of their way, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and not be there to, because sometimes people have to go through their journey yeah. and it's not my job to solve their pain because by solving their pain, I'm also taking away uh, their opportunity, right? Because the only thing that I could do though is I could create an environment to where they feel comfortable coming back to, right? Where okay. all I could do is create the environment. Uh, for me, it's love and acceptance, right? If you create an environment for people to step into that where they feel comfortable to grow, I think that's a lot more important than telling people exactly what they can be doing. Like if you can't help, obviously help, right? If you know there's a good fit, hey, there's a relationship, a connection that would make sense to help them grow. That's one thing. But trying to tell somebody the right way to do things is extremely arrogant, <laughs> right? And because, irritating. <laughs> you know, and I think that like my level of knowledge is minuscule. And if I'm trying to make decisions just based off of my knowledge, I'm doing myself and everyone around me a disservice. And the same thing for others, right? If all I'm doing is just 
bestowing my knowledge on people, you know, that's not what people need to grow. People just need an environment to where maybe they could just feel comfortable bouncing things off you, right? Maybe they just feel comfortable. Like it's, it's that you said it best, Marcus, it was about that intimacy, right? When you create that level of intimacy to when we, when we talk to each other, it's not just about how to help them in business. It's like, Hey, can we catch up after that and say, how, how are the kids doing? You know, what, how was your vacation? Like, Hey, you know, and one of my favorite questions to ask, I would consider my friends, right? Like what, like my crew is, as I call them is, Hey, you know, based on where you at, where you're at, and based on where you want to be, you know, that what's that gap for you and who's the relationship that you need to help you fill that gap, right? What, what, what is that for you? And that's, you know, so when I ask that question, we always get into some really in-depth stuff that, and them talking that through sometimes gives them that epiphany. So I think the best thing you could do for people is just get a good at just get good at asking questions. Okay. Again, fantastic advice. So tell me this within the ecosystem that you have created, how coordinated are you at the moment in terms of your messaging, your marketing, how you engage with your community? Not as well as I'd like to be, Marcus, to be to be very truthful. Especially after you described your process and the, that first, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm I'm a novice comparatively to the the type of ecosystem that you've that you've basically structured and put a process behind is brilliant, uh, which is why I'm I love this conversation, you know, because I know there's so much for me to learn from it. But there's, uh, you know, as of right now, it's a lot of communication back and forth. Are there like newsletters that go out every week? And, you know, no, there, there isn't that. It's more more personal. Really, That's just the way that I've built it. You know, I think there's definitely need for your touch, <laughs> right? And I think it could um, it could definitely not just accelerate, but, but also multiply my efforts, you know, um, by administering some of the community-based things. And, and I've been actually looking at a lot and not just looking, but participating in different types of community, right? So there's the off LinkedIn community where you go in and you talk to some of your peers and there's networking events where you go and you network with your rotaries, your, there's a bunch of networking groups out there. But then also I've been jumping into the, uh, the crypto community and jumping into things like DAOs, jumping because everything is governed. So what are DAOs? Uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. Right. Okay. Um, so if you go on any crypto community, whether that's you know Cardano or you know any, they they have a Discord. Or so uh, I've been I've gotten pretty active on Discord. So on Discord itself they have little communities within there, right? So right. where you get to really dive in and, and talk to uh, the team members of the project, talk to the customers of the project. So imagine an ecosystem that's uh, where it's all tied in. Right, okay. So because I'm seeing something very similar happening on communities like Slack, on WhatsApp. Yep. And th this is really interesting because I have a theory and I'd love to get your take on this. There's a generational shift as the boomers are retiring and Gen X are moving into the sort of senior ultimate leadership roles. However, I think my generation, the Gen Xs are going to be bypassed by millennials and Gen Zs. I, because I tell all, listen, Marcus, I tell all my friends, okay, especially ones who's my age or older, everybody needs a friend under 25. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I can't remember who said it, but have friends with fat brains, lots of white, white matter still in their brain because they think differently and it's challenging. And it's uh, I love the fact that they're uh, hyper competitive, but they also understand that they need to learn how to cooperate. There's a model that Simon Byrne and I have been working on, 
looking at the evolution of businesses. And they start out competitive and they're fighting for market share. They're very protective. It's all about them versus us. Eventually, they may move to a reluctant coexistence with adjacent providers, but they don't play nicely. They're always looking for what's in it for themselves. It's very transactional. At best, it's contractual. And then there's a a level above that, which is collaborative. Um, But the problem is that most collaborations end up being compromises because they will only rise to the, uh, the level of the least ambitious and the least courageous partner. And so there's a border where you know, chaos and creativity meet, uh, chaos and order meet, and that's where creativity happens. And this is where you move from average to great. And there, therein lies the difference, because in a, uh, an ecosystem, you co-create. You co-create with your partners, you co-create with your customers, you even co-create with competitors where it's appropriate to do so. And you also co-elevate. So it's not about promoting yourself. It's about raising the tide for everybody and creating those communities and those conversations. I mean, that's pretty much on par in our roadmap, man. Like, you know, so when we we started as an energy brokerage firm, right? And then we grew into efficiency and IoT and all the different things that we do today. But in that process, we looked at a lot of the other broker partners that were uh, that were out there like a lot of people that do nothing but uh, electricity and natural gas contracts and we actually about two years ago reached out to almost all of them in the illinois marketplace which is where um, majority of our base is and we said hey if you guys would like you'd be happy to work with you to so you could also offer different types of strategies to give you the the leg up that we get, right? So, and we don't want any of your procurement business. It's just another way for you to be able to get more business. Mm -hmm. And we have about 10 great partners from the procurement space because of that, you know? So we took our old competition and we we created an alliance from it. Right. And and that's helped us not just with, you know, growing our individual businesses, but it also helped us identify best practices for each other. Right. And uh, that, you know, I think that's been transformative for a few of our partners, 100 percent. So there is a, a really clear path here in my mind, which is that these organizations will start to form not only ecosystems, but they will also form multiple adjacent ecosystems because each partner will be involved. And so it's kind of like one of those fractal diagrams in my mind, because each time you're getting deeper and wider within the organization, you're bringing more value and you're starting to become integral. And uh, my, my partner in crime, Simon Bone, says that Selling should be the most noble thing that you do in your business. And your job is to bring profound meaning and a profound change. You can't sell shallow and sell deep at the same time. And part of the problem here is that so much of sales at the moment is focused on the here and now, the immediate, the transactional. And that's that's the antithesis of what you and I are talking about here. What's your feeling in terms of how customers are demanding more value, that that hidden surprising value. That's why we have our partners, right? Because there's no way that we could deliver on a customer's thirst for getting the best bang for their buck, right? But when you bring in value that's exponential because of your base, there's not too many people that can compete with you. I'm really curious about your personal daily habits relating to this particular set of values. What is it that you do every day, every week, every month, every quarter without fail as a matter of habit to drive the this behavior with it yourself, but also within your organization? Uh, great question. So there's a multitude of things, right? That because I can I- sit back and relax now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I try to keep it simple. There's a handful of people 
that I make it a point to speak with at least once a week. And I also put in at least average day, two hours of research, but probably when my when my kids pass out early, <laughs> I go up to like, you know, four hours of research a day. I invest in myself. Uh, you're on mute, Marcus. What are you researching? Everything I'm passionate about, right? Number one, my industry, right? Uh, there's a lot happening. There's a lot progressing. So I'm always looking into, you know, what's there, what's new, what's coming out, you know, so that's one piece. But then also my other passions like crypto, like at least an hour a day, I'm researching different founders, different projects, new projects, new developments, new disruptions, right? So uh, news, right, around that. Then I'm actually very, I would say I focus a lot on also getting to know new people. Uh, So I, I try to be as engaged as I can on LinkedIn. And that's, LinkedIn's been wondrous. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine, Corey Warfield, he's probably got about, about 400,000 followers on LinkedIn now. He's an absolute, absolute gem. But he convinced me to jump on LinkedIn about a year and a half ago. And it's really taken our organization from national to international because now we've gotten access to projects and uh, Saudi Arabia, in India, in other parts of the world, just because of the relationships we've created through LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is what probably the most underutilized tool for professionals, period. Uh, I don't think there's anything, you know, TikTok, Facebook, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think uh, for anybody in the sales world, I think not... It's not having a LinkedIn account. That's not what it's about. It's actually participating and playing in the world. There's no, there's no half-assing things, <laughs> right? Like That's you got to get in it. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to get to know it. And that 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 takes take away the barriers of whatever you think something is and dive into it so you could actually see for yourself. Aside from LinkedIn and your phone. Are yes. there any other technologies that are essential to be able to, to do this? Technology-wise, you know, I think there's a lot of really great things like Slack. I believe Discord has been, especially in the crypto world, I really don't even do any other research outside of the research I could do within Discord itself. Because if I have questions, I'd much rather get it from uh, the answer from the team members, <laughs> right, comparatively to a well, YouTuber. This- This is really interesting because what I'm seeing more and more and more are autonomous, self-regulated, self-directed groups of like-minded individuals who are working very closely and collaboratively together. There's a real give-to-get kind of culture. But again, the, the level of generosity and the level of engagement. I mean, I'm on a couple of platforms. There are a thousand messages a day and this is just on one of my WhatsApp threads. And uh, what, what's really fascinating is uh, my, my favorite story of late is uh, my pal, Zach, his 15-year-old daughter, was terribly excited because she got um, accepted into a group of 14 to 17-year-olds that had got together to design and build and publish and market a game. And they're using all these technologies in order to coordinate, to plan, to project manage, to are they using RACI, so re- responsible, accountable, consulted, informed. And all of this is without any adult intervention. Now, yep. the reason I'm really excited is because your generation and the generation subsequent to you have grown up with technology just as part of your lives. My generation have had to accommodate it and make space for it. And we think of it still with awe. I mean, well, I, I was on a call this morning and someone sneezed and I thought, you know, it's amazing that I can record, notice that someone sneezed 5,000 miles away instantly. <laughs> and to me, that's a miracle. Well, Marcus, for I would consider myself part of your generation, okay? okay? The, 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 I, I am not weather. technologically sad. I mean, even though 
But, you know, it's funny, I'm in the tech space, but I am not technologically savvy at all. Like if something happens to my phone, I got to I got to run over to Verizon T-Mobile, right? Yeah. Or um, it's, you know, I, I think a lot of us have just stuck to what we've known, right? And I think that also is where our ceilings get formed, right? So before, I think just getting to learn things that are outside of your zone of learning, <laughs> right? I believe that brings in a lot of power for not just for us as individuals, because we empower ourselves, right? Then the number one tool that you could create that will serve you forever is empowering yourself in anything that you feel disempowered around, <laughs> right? And because in today's, but, you know, back in the day, I would say when Marcus is at mine, when we're growing up, we had to look through like encyclopedias or microfiche film. Oh, yeah, I remember then. Like, you know, that was our process of discovery. Today, I could press a button, talk to Siri and learn from it. And, and, you know, my wife's, my, my, my wife's also very traditional and, you know, she's always been like, oh, you know, have him read from a book instead. Right. And I was like, you know, that's great because that's how we grew up. But that's not going to be his my son's reality 20 years from now. I would much rather him be able to go in and ask Siri and get to the, the solution quickly so he could process his problem quickly. <laughs> right. Well, he, he's the first uh, if he's six, then he's the first of the next generation. Because anyone who can remember the pandemic as having lived through it was of the previous one. If you can't remember it and it's just history, then you're part of that next one. And that's going to be really interesting seeing the knock-on effect of that. Because if you look at the uh, the impact of famines on genetics and how that triggers shifts in physiological response uh, to diet, exercise, cholesterol, stress, all of those kind of things, you know, war babies, We've gone through this two years of uncertainty. And what I'm really, really intrigued by is how resilient um, we we are as a species, but uh, how successful we'll be if we can grasp the nettle on this one and really cooperate uh, with one another. Marcus, you know that the whole four mil a minute mile thing, right? Like, you know, once one person broke it, then hundreds of others have now broken it. I think the same as the example that we are to ourselves, right? If we achieve personal mastery and personal growth and uh, in really investing in ourselves, that example is other people's four minute mile. You know, the thing that I want for my children is not for them. Success is all based on what you think success is you know i come from india i I was born there to have i feel like i live in a palace (laughs) here you know because in india like you know a a family can live in not even a one bedroom but like a studio like that's how they live you know so here having a house with my own bathroom with my own room with my kids having their own room like man that's you know, I'm living it, living it large. It, it <laughs> sounds know? to me like gratitude is a really central part of your uh, value system. Oh, a thousand percent. How, how could you not be? <laughs> you well, I mean, it, I, I, I don't believe in an afterlife, but if there was one and I was God, I'd be really irritated with people who messed up this one opportunity by squandering it, by being miserable and doing stuff that didn't fulfill. That had... Uh really plagued my life for a very long time, you know, where feeling that I have some part in somebody else's evolution, (laughs) right? But truly, you know, what I found is that we all have our path. And, you know, if we looked at, if we really took the look, stretched out our own timeline, there's a thousand places to judge ourselves. (laughs) right? Based on our understanding today. So if we base our understanding on based on where someone is today, then we're limiting 
their ability to grow also, right? Well, so, I, 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 to, coming back on uh, your earlier point that uh, if you rescue somebody instead of uh, getting out of their way, letting them learn the lesson, maybe coaching them through the process so that they can work it out for themselves, yeah. uh, you steal from them the opportunity to learn. And the only thing that I focus on, Marcus, is response, right? Like for my children, I don't care about, like I, I want them to mess up, right? I give them opportunities to mess up. But my yeah. biggest thing is how do you respond to it? You know, so response is everything. So, you know, when someone goes through something, I want them to go through it, but then I want to be there to help them with their response, <laughs> right? So I think response, because how you respond to life is what creates life, not what happens to you. That's fair. Okay, look, um, we're coming to the top of the hour, Majid. So um, help me understand this. You, you're looking back uh, to maybe your 23-year-old idiot self, and you're whispering in his ear, what one choice bit of advice would you give him? Oh, man. You know, he'd have ignored uh, it. If I, if I had to take myself back to 23, which 17 years ago, um, you know, if I had to say anything, it's I would just say it'll all work out. It'll all work out because I think we put so much pressure on ourselves at that age based on everybody else's opinions that our life is really formed based on everybody's opinions and us trying to break out of it, you know, feels wrong and bad or feels like they're bad. It's, I wish I knew myself as well as I do today, but I'm glad I didn't. What I am finding, because I'm doing a lot of recruitment with uh, younger people now, is that they are terribly misunderstood. Um, it's not that they're fickle. It's not that they want everything now. They are ambitious. They want to grow. But they've realized that they don't want to go through, you know, burn through three or four wives or husbands and uh, have a miserable existence where they, you know, they don't know who their kids are uh, and their kids don't know them. And they're looking for, they, they want it all. And why the hell not? I mean, we're in an era where it's possible. 100%. You know, and I think... Uh... People usually try to teach others all the things that really never work for them. <laughs> you know? So I would say take, take advice gingerly. <laughs> you know, if you are going to take advice, then jump into it. Don't just play with it, <laughs> right? Because only with playing with something do you really get to understand something. Right. Okay. So sorry, to, just to clarify, to jump in with completely and commit. Or dabble. Here's where I think the gap is, and a beautiful author, her name is Kay Ack. You know, she writes this in her book. But it's most of us have given up our internal authority. It's just K-A-Y-E-C-K. Most of us have given up our internal authority. You know, for our health, we depend on the doctor. For our learning, we depend on the teacher. When we, for, you know, our relationships, we might depend on our parents or a peer, right? So we give up our authority so much that we don't even know what it's, we don't even know what it means for us to create something for ourselves, right? We don't even know what it's like. We've been told to sit and eat at that plate for so long, you don't, you didn't know that you could go pick up a plate and make yourself your own meal. <laughs> right? right. So it's, so I, I think for, for a lot of us, you know, diving into something and playing with something that might be out completely outside of your realm of possibility. That's how you start taking back ownership because you realize you could do it. And once you realize you could do it one aspect of your life, you can know you could do that with any aspect of your life. And it's just about diving in and, and enjoying the process if you can. <laughs> so. It's really interesting because, again, one of the common themes that I see with people who've achieved a particularly early success, financial independence, and a, a certain level of self-actualization is that they have an insatiable curiosity. They lean into problems 
And what they they all seem to have is range. They've got a broad range of exposure, a broad range of interests, and they're they're widely self-educated. So again, I'm not sure whether this is, you know, entirely characteristic of uh, people who succeed, but there's certainly those kind of themes. And the the other thing is they're not afraid to put themselves in in positions where failure is almost inevitable because they see that as they see that as education. It's part of their training budget. It's being comfortable with being uncomfortable basically living in that space because I know it's a good opportunity when it scares the shit out of me. Or <laughs> I don't know if I can swear on here, but... Yeah, yeah you can. Uh, That's fine. Okay. It's not America. <laughs> yeah, right? When things are rough, you know, that's really when I know that, okay, I'm about to break through, right? Because before any breakthrough that you've had anywhere, it, there's been a lot of disruption, and if you're not putting yourself in the path of disruption, then you're not going to continue to have breakthroughs. And that's not a bad thing. Some people are just really happy with where they're at. And you should maintain that because at the end of the day, that's the only ROI that matters. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you focus on, but if you have this insatiable thirst for, for me, like when I'm doing something and I, and I, it's a certain vibe that I feel like I'm feeling it now. Like it's like, like when you get goosebumps or when you're, when you're uh, excited about something, right. You, you don't, it's, it's not, you know, it's not that you, you research for four hours. It's just four hours just went by. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so when you're, when you're passionate about living and doing the things that you're truly right. wanting to do and stuff, having to do, when you break through and you find that median point, then life just opens up. And I'm really curious how often you find that you hit that flow state where four hours just goes like the blink of an eye. I would like to say daily, but it happens often, man. Like, I mean, especially with children, I mean, my kids, you know, I feel like they get me to that flow state. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, I could be, you know, building a ramp and, which I was doing last night with them, you know, and running their Barbies down to their, you know, their little <laughs> Hot Wheels down them. And, you know, I thought I was doing that for 30 minutes. We look up and it was two hours went by, right? Yeah. So like flow state happens because you're being and you're not doing. You're in the flow of being and the doing is just the reflection of that. Very so, interesting. I, I think okay. you could... Put yourself into a flow state. I do on a regular basis. I mean, my de- my days, my weeks, my months, my years seem to be flying by at a painfully fast rate. Um, <laughs> just shocking. Okay, so look, um, t- tell me this. If you were to recommend something that could, people could read, watch, listen to, consume, oh, yeah. uh, that would really expand their mind and so around the areas that we've been talking about today. You know, I have such amazing influences in these arenas. I would definitely suggest uh, if there's a gentleman, his name's uh, Sadhguru, S-A-D-H-G-U-R-U. He wrote a great book called The Yogi's Guide to Inner Joy. I have it in my Audible. But Sadhguru, he's he's on YouTube. He's uh, doc, Dr. Joe Dispenza. If anyone's uh, you know followed any of his work, uh, it's it's absolutely amazing. Darren Hardy, you know from uh, uh, there, there's just so many great people out there. You know, uh, what what I would suggest, though, is, you know, use it as a shopping cart method and not like a Bible, <laughs> right? So use what makes sense for you now and apply it and then go back and reread it. <laughs> you know, it's not about how many books you read is how well, you understand what you're actually reading. And sometimes that might take you a couple of times of reading it because I know I get something new out of every time I read like, you know, a Dale, a Dale Carnegie book or, you know, uh, How to Win Friends and... Influence people. Yeah, and influence people. You know, those are those are just classics. Napoleon, no, Napoleon Hill, you know, I mean, these are, there's a lot of brilliance in classics. Ogmandino, you know, the greatest salesman in the world, you know, like uh, four agreements. I mean, there's there's more important than telling you 
what to read. <laughs> I actually, I, I personally don't read a lot. I'm an audible guy. Yeah, so I listen is that actually do it, right? Take 20 minutes a day and do it. If you invest 20 minutes into yourself every day, you won't recognize yourself a year from now. And the second biggest thing that I would suggest, and this is just me personally, is disconnect from the distractions. Since I had my son, my son six years ago, I decided to cut away my distractions, which was, you know, my four fantasy football leagues that was a part of, you know, TV in general. I cut out my TV. And when you don't have TV to watch or, you know, play the thing, then you say, well, what can I do? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then then it's a slow moving process. But once you start that process of investing in yourself, it's amazing. Not that I don't watch TV today, I'll smash through a series, you know, but I do it on my own time. And it's it's not my, I, I try to own my time and not have my time on me. You know, that's that's the difference. And 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 really being intentional about where I'm putting it. Excellent. Majid, this has been really fascinating. I'd love to have you back. Thank you. No, thank you for having me, brother. I, I, I love the message that you're putting out. I think it's extremely valuable. Uh, I believe in sales and uh, collaboration is key. And those who figure out who figure collaboration out today will be the ones who, you know, lead the worlds of tomorrow. So hundred percent. I, I truly believe that, you know, that there might be somebody listening today to this conversation or some of your previous conversations that who actually applies the things that you've been talking about, who could be one of those people tomorrow. So keep doing the great work that you do, brother. I look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you. Likewise. So how can people get hold of you? Uh, LinkedIn. Just look me up on LinkedIn. That's usually where I communicate most with people. LinkedIn is just magic safer. I'm on Discord a bunch too. Uh, I'm actually probably going to be starting a channel with a friend of mine around crypto just so I don't have to spend as much time explaining it to people. <laughs> so <laughs> we're starting a channel on Discord with uh, with Corey. We're, we're going to be doing some fun things in the in the blockchain crypto space because that is the next frontier and those who find ways to solve problems early there will be the next Jeff Bezos of tomorrow. So, Excellent. Majid Safa, thank you. Appreciate you, sir. I look forward to catching up. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then please like, comment, share, and tag somebody who could benefit from it. And in the meantime, if you want to get hold of me, Marcus at laughsharpenlast.com. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.